Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church in the Overflow. And anybody joining us by way of video or audio podcast, we welcome you as well. God bless all of you. Everybody take a Bible, will you, and open it to the book of James. Uh, This is week two in a message series entitled To All the Scattered Ones. That's the way James originally addressed his letter, to all of the scattered Christians everywhere. That would be us. Uh, Addressing a letter to to Christians worldwide, scattered out throughout throughout the world. And this is his message. We are in the middle of chapter 1, picking up uh, up in chapter 1, verse 19. Uh, So open your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, look in the pew rack right in front of you and take one there so you can follow along. I really want you in the the Word with me. Last year, I think it was about January 2012, there was a Christian evangelist named Jefferson Bethke from Mars Hill Church in Seattle. He Uh, put a video on, I think, first GodTube, then YouTube, and then it went everywhere. It went viral on the Internet. Uh, His little short piece, it was a poem, really, spoken word piece, was entitled, Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. Anybody see that? Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. We're actually going to watch it tonight. It's only about four minutes. We'll see it tonight. Uh, But I encourage you to check it out. Look it up when you get home this afternoon. Why I Hate Jesus. Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. That's a bad one. Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus by Jefferson Bethke. It was a very controversial video. Many of us watched it and liked it because we get it. We understand what Jefferson was trying to say because we're used to that in the church. We're used to making a distinction between uh, what we would call false religion or dead religion and and a living faith in, in the living Christ. We're accustomed to that. We don't think of Christianity as as just another religion. Uh, To be a Christian is not simply to observe uh, uh, some sort of code of of religious standards, religious rules, or religious habits. That's not what we're doing. That's not what it's about. We would consider that false or or dead religion. For us, being Christians is a matter of of being in a living, vibrant relationship with with the living and powerful Christ. And, And that's the difference that we would want to make. But it's one that uh, was actually a new kind of message for much of the world. They didn't understand how somebody could say they love Jesus but hate religion. I want you to keep that in mind because as we come to this portion of the book of James together, you're going to find that it's the kind of distinction James is trying to make too. He's trying to make a distinction between true and false religion, between pure and, and impure religion, and I think it's the kind of distinction that will help us quite a bit in our own lives. So let's jump in with James chapter 1 verse 19. Some of this is going to be very, very familiar scripture to you. Uh, You may have heard it before, but that doesn't mean you've actually heard it before. You understand what I'm saying? So listen to the word of God in James chapter 1 verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen. Okay, underline that part because he's going to talk about listening for a moment here. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. Humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. The old King James says, be ye 
doers of the word and not hearers only. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. And to follow the way James will keep repeating this idea of, of self-deception, fooling yourself. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for, say the word, doing it. God will bless you for, say the word, doing it. Yeah, all right, verse 26. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself. Back to that. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. James is going to come back later in a big section on the tongue and we're going to do that together. Verse 27, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father is this. It means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Let's stop there. Let's come that far. There's a, a trend these days on uh, YouTube uh, where middle school girls will go on the internet uh, with their webcam and they'll put little videos on YouTube and basically all they're doing is is asking the world am I pretty or ugly it's usually 12 13 year old girls it, it seems but, but there are a lot of them who, who go on YouTube it, it's it's the internet and, and they make this little short video where they just sit there in front of the webcam and they just ask the world do you think I'm pretty or do you think I'm ugly? Tell me the truth. They say, I just want to know the truth. Just, just tell me, am I pretty or ugly? No, they're asking the internet. They're asking the world. So what do you think happens? Actually, they get more or less two different kinds of answers. But because there are kind of two different kinds of people out there. The, the first kind of answer is kind of the... Uh, the over-the-top, uh, you so beautiful girl kind of thing, you know, where somebody says, you, you're the prettiest thing I've ever seen in my life, you, baby, you a firework, you know, they just give them this kind of over-the-top kind of, you so pretty, you so pretty, oh, I wish I looked like you, you, you are beautiful, you're gorgeous, you, you're just beautiful, and, and there's a whole lot of that from people who don't know you. Just saying, oh, baby, you, you, you were the prettiest thing ever. You got the prettiest face. You got the prettiest smile. You got the most beautiful eyes. And, and God bless the people in the world who just want to always say something nice. That, that, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. But then there's the other kind of person. And honestly, if you put something like that on the Internet, you got to understand that, that most of the people who are actually on the Internet making comments are probably like 26-year-old guys without jobs in their mother's basement and eating beans out of the can with nothing to do but, but ruin people's lives. And so there are people who go on, on these websites and, and they'll go to where these girls say, am I pretty or ugly? And they will just say the meanest things possible. They will just say, Girl, you are so ugly. You are so ugly. You, you'll read comments like, you're so ugly, you make onions cry. Now, that sounds funny, but you're talking to a 12-year-old girl. There are people who are right, if I look like you, I'd kill myself. Who 
would say that? Who would say that to a 12, 13-year-old girl who's just asked, am I pretty or ugly? If I look like you, I'd kill myself. But then you got to ask, who goes on the internet and asks that question? I mean, because it's one of those questions that's very, very complicated and difficult to answer. But I promise you, the people out there, they can't tell you. They can't answer that question for you. Nobody can really tell you in a way that's going to matter whether or not you're, you're pretty or, or, or ugly. It's not a question that just gets answered in, in that way because it depends on who you ask. It's going to depend upon the audience. And if you ask the audience of the World Wide Web, you're going to probably get what you get. So the question today becomes... How, how would we know? Is there a mirror? Is there a mirror that will show me my true face and let me really know once and for all, what do I look like? A am I attractive? Am I hot or not? You understand? The, the important thing for us today, though, is it it's the kind of question that, that James wants you to ask of yourself, but in a spiritual way. We're not talking about physical appearance now with James. The question becomes spiritual. Am, am I pleasing to God spiritually? Am I beautiful or spiritually am I ugly? And how would I know? Is there a true mirror that would show me my heart, show me my soul? And it turns out that there is. James says this, he starts in verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen. Quick to listen. Now, in this portion of the book of James, James is going to talk quite a bit about hearing and the importance of, of, of attentive listening. And he's going to start here by saying you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and, and slow to get angry. Now, very truly, this is just good advice for life in general. All of us, in life in general, at work, at school, with our families, we would all be much, much better off if we would learn to listen more than we talk. I didn't think I'd get an amen on that. We would all be much better off if we would, if we would talk less and, and listen more. This is what James says. We must all be quick to listen. In other words, your instinct, your default response should always be to shut up and listen. This is the way we're supposed to live. Quick to listen, slow to speak. In other words, you don't have to make a comment on every topic at every opportunity. Sometimes you ought to just kind of zip it. You should be quick to listen, but, but slow to speak and slow to get angry. That's just good advice. But, but recognize here, in James's context, we're not really only talking about life in general. We're also talking about your spiritual life, and most importantly, your spiritual life. So in that context, recognize when James says you must be quick to listen, he's really going to be talking about the Word of God. You must be quick to listen. You must be always attentive and ready to hear what God says. You must be quick to listen to the Word of God. Now then, slow to speak and slow to get angry. Understand, the minute you start talking, you stop listening. It's just the fact of the way God constructed your ears and your mouth. As soon as your mouth starts moving, your ears turn off. So, so you must not be so quick to speak, and you can't be so quick to get angry because the moment you get angry, you stop listening. You understand? So James says you must be quick to listen, 
slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So here we go. Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God planted in your hearts. So again, James's point that everything is leading toward the word of God. Your heart must be receptive to God's word. Faith comes by hearing, scripture says. And that's why hearing becomes such a very important part of your spiritual life. You simply got to learn to listen to God's word. And that's James' point. Now dig in with me at verse 21. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. You want to know something fun? That word, it's actually kind of gross. That word that James uses there, the Greek word that we translate filth, one of the very literal translations of that word is earwax. You don't think a lot about earwax, um, but, but it's one of the grossest things ever. It's, it's just a, a, a gross thing. Last weekend, we were moving my son into his new dorm room in, in Campbellsville. Wade's going to be an RA, so he's actually getting there a week ahead of everybody else. And actually a week ahead, apparently, of the custodians. So we, we walked in the room where Wade was going to stay. And the guy before him had done a pretty good job of taking out all the stuff that he had accumulated over the summer. Except he just left all over the place Q-tips. Like, like used Q-tips. I don't know if he had a gland problem or, or, or what would cause that, but, but I, I'm not touching those. I, I mean, you call a hazmat team or something. I am not picking up you know, those, those little, little you know, Q-tips with, with, with the brown tips now. I mean, I just don't want any of that. It's, it's, just, it's the grossest thing ever, and I think it's amazing that James kind of suggests that, that he uses that word. Now, understand, he's using it in a very neat, nuanced way. We're not just talking about earwax, but, but it's a good place to say you need to get rid of everything that, that would prevent you from hearing God's word. And, and the fact of the matter is that the sin in your life, the crud and corruption that you let accumulate in your heart, it functions like earwax. It, it literally stops up your hearing so that you don't hear God's word any longer or you don't hear it as you're supposed to hear it. Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. There's something kind of interesting about that exhortation there to humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. Do you notice the, the irony there? Can you find it? What's interesting about that exhortation? Accept the word that God has planted in, in your hearts. He's talking to Christians. And so on the one hand, God's word has already been planted in your hearts. It's, it's already there. It's what saves you. It alone has the power to save you, James says. So on the one hand, that word is already there. It's already planted in your heart. But he still says you still need to humbly accept. You have to, the word is welcome. You have to somehow welcome the word that God has already planted in your hearts. It's there. It's there, but you still have in your everyday life a certain kind of freedom. It's a tragic kind of freedom to reject God's word, even though it's supposedly planted in your hearts. 
you, you still retain this ability to refuse God, even though God's word is planted in your heart. Even as a Christian, you still have this freedom not to participate in God, what God is trying to do in your heart. This is why James says you, you must get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. You must get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Now, I know I'm talking to mostly church people. I understand that I'm talking to, to, to religious people. And when that verse is read in your hearing, for most of you, it just goes right past you. It goes, it goes right by you. You don't think of yourself. You don't think of yourself as a person with much filth and evil in your life. And see, this is the problem with religious people. We have this tendency to deceive ourselves. We have a tendency to fool ourselves. Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. Okay, let's move now. This is good. Verse 22. But don't just listen to God's word. We've already said hearing is good. Listening is good. That's where James starts out. Everybody needs to be quick to listen. Listening is good. Hearing is good. But now he goes on. Don't just listen. Don't only hear God's word. You must do what it says. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, if you read the old King James. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Now, this self-deception becomes a theme all through this passage. James is going to keep coming back to that, that idea that the problem with religious people is that we deceive ourselves. We're constantly fooling ourselves. We never are able to see our true face. We just have this tendency not to understand our own selves. Don't just listen to God's word, but do what it says. Otherwise, you're fooling yourself. So, but break that down. You've probably heard that verse, some of you, all, all of your lives. What does it mean? Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I don't think it's complicated. There is a kind of self-deception that, that comes with being a regular churchgoer. So, so listen to me, because that's what most of you are, regular churchgoers. And God bless you for that. But, but the problem is... You folks end up hearing a lot of God's word. If I'm doing my job at all, you end up hearing a lot of God's word. We read scripture, we sing scripture, we study it in, in, in small groups. We, we're constantly, I, I hope, gathered around God's word, reading and, and, and listening. But the problem is the self-deception comes when, when we begin to imagine that since we know so much about God's word, since we're so familiar with what the Bible says in, in so many places, we begin to think that we're actually walking with God. Are, are you picking up what I'm throwing down? You understand what I'm saying here? We're familiar with God's word, so therefore we, we begin to imagine somehow that, that we're living by it, that, that we're actually walking with God. And, and there's a dangerous and tragic self-deception that goes along with that. The, the fact that you've heard it all before doesn't necessarily mean that the word of God is actually taking root and beginning to transform you. Understand the word is transformed. The word of God has the power to save your souls, James says. The, the, the goal of God's word is not, is not information. Even sitting here today and talking with you, my goal is not to inform you. 
But because if I do that, I haven't accomplished much. And I've certainly not accomplished what God's word's purpose is. You see, this isn't about information. It's about transformation. Understand the difference? It's transformation. And you may have heard God's word. Your grandma may have taken you to church, and maybe you've, you've read or you've memorized some passages, and, and I appreciate that. I get all that. But, but according to James, God's word is, is powerful, which means as you hear it, it goes down and God plants it. He says, God plants it down in your heart where it takes root. Now, when seeds are taking root, that's sort of invisible. That's underground. You don't necessarily see what's happening when seeds are, are taking root. But, but James says that that's what God's word does. It goes down deep in our hearts, and, and it's intended to, to, to take root, to, to go down very, very deep, and then change the way we act. In other words, when God's word fulfills its purpose in our life, that, that, that purpose is expressed in, in my behavior. In other words, I've not heard God's word completely until I begin to live by it, until I begin to surrender myself to what it says. If you're not doing what God's word says, then, then your religion is worthless. That's the problem with religious people, James would say. They're always hearing, but they don't do what it says. Just don't do what it says. Then he has this amazing, verse 24, verse 23 and 24, this amazing kind of parable. I'd call it the parable of the mirror. Notice what he says. If you listen to the word but don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. Okay, who's done that? Glance at your, let me see your hands. Who's done that? Who's, who's glanced at their face in a mirror? Okay, the rest of you need to. Okay. You need to. Every now and then you just need to. Why do we check ourselves in the mirror? I want to see. I, I, I want to see. I have a mirror in my office, and right before I come out to preach to you, I want to see. I check myself. I check myself primarily for two things, and I guess these are my particular problems, but what do you think I check? My zipper? Yeah, I check my zipper. Now, what if I were to look in the mirror on my way out to preach and see that my zipper were open? What would I do? I would close that thing. Yeah, I, I, I would close my zipper. Why would I do that? Because of the humiliation of standing there, because none of you would tell me. You'd never tell me. That'd be the sermon to remember, wouldn't it, baby? You, you'd all be downloading that video podcast. I, I, I understand. I, I check my zipper. I also check my nose. I want to see if there's a bat in the cave. You know what I mean? I just got to make sure. From, but, but I check the mirror because I want, I actually, I, I want to see if there are flaws. I want to see if there's something I need to fix. And, and James's little parable here is, is, is intentionally funny. It's, it's supposed to be funny because nobody would do that. Nobody would look at themselves in the mirror and think, and, and then just walk away. No, no. Looking at the mirror is an opportunity to address the flaws. It's an opportunity to fix what's wrong. So I remind you, some of you need to take a look. You need to take a look. But what James is saying here is, is that God's word is that true mirror. God's word is the true mirror. Now, some of you like to sort of get your feedback from other people. Let other people make you feel good about yourself or let other people tear you down. But this is what I'm saying. You can't look to other people to be the mirror for your heart. Nobody else knows you. Nobody else sees you on the inside. And everything that's worthy comes from God. It comes from the inside. It's spiritual. 
You with me? So God's word is the mirror for your heart. God's word is where you need to look to see what you really are, to see what you really look like, to see how God sees you. Anybody who would just read God's word and then not obey it, anybody who just reads God's word to get their verse of the day, and I know some of you, you're kind of verse of the day Christians. If, if you get your verse of the day off the internet, you feel like that, that, that you've done your duty with God's word for the, for the 24 hours. James says that's a problem with religious people. They get their verse of the day and they imagine that somehow they've been exposed to God's word. And, and no, God's word is not a verse of the day. It, it, it is a mirror. And once you look into it, then your question is, what do I do now? What do I do Turn back, everybody, to Ezekiel. We'll play some music because it's hard to find. You'll take some time. Ezekiel, use your table of contents. It's not cheating. I want you to look at this passage from the Old Testament. It's kind of amazing. God is talking to the prophet. And actually, God is sort of saying, uh, listen, brother Ezekiel, pastor Ezekiel, there's some things I need to tell you about your congregation. Because, you know, Brother Zeke imagines he knows these people. God says, you don't know these people like I know these people. Let me tell you about your people. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 30. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 30. Okay, let me warn you. Let me warn you. God's word is a mirror And you may be about to see yourself. I'm not saying that you are, but you may be about to see yourself. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 30. God is telling the prophet about his people. Here we go. Son of man, your people talk about you in their houses and whisper about you at the doors. Okay, this isn't a bad thing. It's not saying they're talking bad about you. What he's saying is you're famous. You're famous. Everybody's talking about you. Everybody is downloading your sermons from the internet. Everybody packs in to hear you preach. They say that you can make them laugh and cry at the same time. Everybody loves you. Here here we go. Son of man, your people talk about you in their houses and whisper about you at the doors. They say to each other, come on, let's go hear the prophet. Tell us what the Lord is saying, exclamation point. Let's go hear the prophet. Tell us what the Lord is saying. So my people come, say the word, Pretending, My people come pretending to be sincere, and they sit before you. They listen to your words, but they have no intention of doing what you say. Their mouths are full of lustful words, and their hearts seek only after money. You're very entertaining to them, like someone who sings love songs with a beautiful voice or plays fine music on an instrument. They hear what you say but they don't act on it. Wow. I'm glad things have changed so much since the Old Testament. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, because if you hear it and you don't do anything with what you've heard, you are fooling yourself problem with religious people is that they're always, always fooling themselves. That They think that because they know God's word, that they actually are walking with Christ, and they're not. 
Paul says that knowledge puffs up. That knowledge puffs up. So the idea is the more knowledge you get in God's word, it, it puffs you up. You ever seen anything puffed up? Uh, what's something that's p- puffed up full of? Air, you know, puff, air. That's the idea. And so the, the idea is that something can actually look very full, but it's empty on the inside. And just by hanging around church people, you can get sort of puffed up. In other words, you start looking the part. You look like you're full. You look like you have something on the inside, but it's really only that you're puffed up. You look full, but you're still empty. Now, just by looking, it's very difficult to tell who in here is puffed up and who might actually be filled with God's word and God's spirit. I don't know if we can know by looking. We're really not very good judges of one another. I can tell you this, though. Eventually, time will usually tell. It will usually reveal who among us is true and who's just puffed up. Usually, if you're puffed up, if you're inflated, then sooner or later, something will deflate you. If you're actually just puffed up and empty, sooner or later, something's going to flatten you in life. And maybe that's the test. I don't know. I know that in my life in church, I see a whole lot of people that at one time seem very full, but sooner or later, they're deflated. And those are the people who are often kind of bitter and say, yeah, I tried church. I tried, I used to, I tried prayer. I tried reading the Bible. I tried God. You try God like, like you try Pepsi? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I tried God, but he didn't work for me. So you understand that they're deflated now. The bottom line is a lot of people who say they tried God, they don't even know what God's about. And the people who say, I tried church. No, no, no. See, the truth is, most of the people who say, here we go again, they've never gone the first time. The people who say, I've heard that all before. No, no, you haven't heard anything. And that's the problem. You're, you're sort of puffed up and inflated, but sooner or later, something will deflate you because there has to be something genuine on the inside. And it, and it comes from God's word, not just listening to it, but putting into practice everything you hear God say. So at the end of any sermon, if there's anything worthy about it at all, at the end of a good sermon, your response is not to be, that was a a good one. It was a nice, that was a nice sermon. No, no. no. I mean, thank you, but no, no, no. If you hear God's word, your response is not nice sermon. Your response should be, what do I do now? Well, what am I going to do? You can't be just a hearer and not a doer if, if if you... or that kind of person, you're fooling yourself. Let's go to the bottom. Verse 26. Again, if our aim is to distinguish true and false religion, pure and impure religion, then notice James is now going to set up a couple of tests, and we'll go on into these tonight. But it starts right here in verse 26. Here's the first test. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself, back to that, you're fooling yourself, and your religion is not as good as it ought to be. So what he says? Worthless. It's nothing, nothing. Empty. Understand? We'll come back to that. Verse 27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means Caring. You get that? It's caring. Now, now that word there, caring, it's not just uh, an emotion like, I care about you, like sending people a valentine. No, no, no. No, it means to take care. 
we're talking about doing, not just hearing, not just feeling, but doing. So, so pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. The first word of that verse is, is, is pure. We're talking now about what is pure religion. So, so just think about the word for a minute, pure, pure. Uh, I've told you guys before, it's, it's one of my pet peeves. I, I love Papa John's pizza. I, I, could, I could eat it three meals, four meals a day. I, I could do it. But it's not about the pizza. It's never been about the pizza for me. Papa John's I mean, pizza is pizza. You, know, you can spread pizza sauce on a pot holder and, and have pizza in, in my mind. It's all pizza. What made Papa John special, though, back in the day was I mean, garlic butter. I mean, that, that little bitty cup. I mean, why do they make them so small? It's like communion. You know, this little bitty cup of garlic butter. I, I could make a beverage out of that. I, I just absolutely have loved their garlic butter until a few years ago something happened we ordered a pizza they delivered they delivered to woodburn i love these people they delivered to woodburn and 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 we popped open the 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 glorious garlic butter but but what was in there just like um it's it's watery it's i mean it used to be the garlic butter you dip your pizza slice in it and and the garlic butter would cling to the bread gloriously it it was it was thick and and rich and and awesome but then they turned it into this watery kind of mess that that just splashes around and and it's yellow kind of like butter but also like other things i mean it's just it's just uh and and the question is, well, what happened to papa john's garlic butter and why would they do this but 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 bottom line they must have diluted it. That's my conclusion. They must have added water to it to make it go further. But the point is, it's not pure anymore. I'll still eat it. It's not the same. But, but what I'm saying is, there's a difference between something that's pure and something that's been watered down, something that's been diluted. And this is what James is getting to now. He wants to talk about pure religion. Now, in other words, true religion, not dead, not false, not just simply following uh, some religious habits, following some customs from your parents, but, but really getting down to pure religion, the, the real thing, the living thing in Christ. What's that look like? Now, let's at first just admit it's very rare to see pure religion. Most of us have a diluted kind of brand of it, most of us. We tend to mix religion with self-centeredness. So that going to church or serving Christ is, is, is often mixed with just doing what we already want to do. Let's be honest about that. Coming to church is often about just simply hoping that everything goes to suit ourselves because we like to dilute our religion with self-centeredness. We like to mix in God's will with with, with our purposes. We just always have this tendency to, to, to mix ourselves in everything we touch. But James wants to talk about the real thing, the the pure thing. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God is this. So here's the test. Are are, are you ready? Here's one of the tests. Is your religion pure? Is it true? If you're asking the question spiritually, am I pretty or ugly? Here's the answer. It's in God's word. This is what the real thing looks like. Pure religion in the sight of God the Father is this. To care for orphans and widows in their distress and to refuse to let the world corrupt you. 
He didn't say a word about coming to church on Sunday. He didn't say a word about putting money in the plate. He didn't say one word about singing in the choir. He didn't say one word about going on mission trips. He didn't say one word. One word about volunteering in the nursery. He didn't say one word about going to Sunday school or small groups. He didn't say one word about serving as a deacon. Pure religion in the sight of God is this. Care. To care. Orphans and widows in their distress. Now why orphans and widows? Why are those singled out? Well, let's just be really plain here Um, we're talking about vulnerable people and and in James's culture in James's day and age the the orphans the widows were the most vulnerable in in the entire society orphans for obvious reasons and that hasn't changed you understand that hasn't changed children are still the most vulnerable most vulnerable creatures on this planet and God loves children you know this right God loves children children when Jesus was on earth in Jesus's ministry it's one of the striking things about him even his disciples couldn't understand why Jesus always wanted to invite the children to come to him children are innocent children are pure children are are, are joyful and God loves children he says that the kingdom of heaven is going to be filled with people who know how to be like children you understand God loves children And because God loves children so much, and you understand that the powers of evil despise children. The the powers of evil despise children, that they're hated by the devil, hated by the evil forces. And that is especially and very plainly illustrated in world history. This is why children always suffer more. In the wars, it's the children who suffer. In the famines, it's the children who suffer. Children will always suffer worse, suffer more. Because you've got to understand the forces of evil line up to destroy children. It's no accident that that abortion is such an incredible epidemic in in our culture. Because our culture itself has been corrupted by forces of, of evil. And evil always lines up to destroy children. It's unbelievable how our culture just absolutely destroys children. But this is what James says. If you really want to know what pure religion is, then then understand this. It, It gives you this different kind of instinct. It makes you want to welcome children and love children and protect children. There's no way to make that abstract. We're supposed to love and care for children and orphans. Before this sermon, we saw statistics on the screens of the number of orphans in the world, number of children in foster care in the United States. You need to understand that the number of children in foster care is a big number, but it's also smaller than the number of Christian churches. If one family in each church in the United States would take in one child, there wouldn't be any children looking for homes in foster care. Do you understand that? That God's people who claim to be God's people, we don't have the basic instincts, the basic character that God himself has. That just simply means that somewhere down the line, we've begun to fool ourselves. We take the name of Christ, but we don't act much like Christ. We're supposed to care for children. We're supposed to love and welcome children just like Jesus did. If you ever see a church that's dying, if you ever see a church that has no future, I promise you that's a church where there are no children. Somewhere down the line, the church people just begin to realize that the kids are a lot of trouble, and they are. I mean, they are. 
kids are a lot of work. I mean, pooping, peeing, and crying, and messing, and, and puking, and turning stuff over, and walking around, and messing up the floor. I mean, you know, we're going to end this service. There'll be Cheerios. Whenever there's a kid, there'll be a, you know, a tremendous mess of Cheerios. I mean, kids and Cheerios. You know, what's this? You know the way to get the Cheerios off the floor, don't you? Get rid of the kids. Yeah. You know, I mean, we can make this church unwelcoming to children. I mean, we can, and, and some churches choose to. You know this, right? They just choose to. They just shut the doors to families with children. They just make it very clear that, that this carpet's more important than your kid getting fed Cheerios. Well, you can have your nice carpet, and your church will die, understand? Because there's something ingredient in, in the Christian heart that moves out toward children. There's something wrong with the church that doesn't do that. Pure religion has this impulse, this instinct that moves out toward children and, and, and widows. Now, in James's day especially, a, a woman who had no man, no male relative left, if she had no husband, if she had no sons, she had nothing. I mean, you know, a, a woman just couldn't go get a job waitressing at Denny's in James's day. If she did not have a man to care for her, she was homeless and starving. James says, you, you want a you good way to measure the purity of your Christian faith? Then just take a look at how you treat vulnerable people. Take a look at how you personally treat and care for people that don't have anybody else that cares for them. What do you do? What do you do? How are you helping people who are hungry? How are you helping people who are poor? How are you taking care of widows? When's the last time you were on a roof for a neighbor lady? You understand? This is what true Christianity looks like. Now, it, it is not just actions. It's not just works. He's going to talk about that later too. But, but if you don't have a life that, that, that is characterized by actions that are plainly laid out in Scripture, then there's something very, very wrong with what you call your Christian faith. Pure religion, it cares for people. It takes care of people. So how do you treat the kid who's new at school? How do you treat the kid who has nobody, no friends at school? How do you treat the members of your own family, some of you? How do you respond when you see the faces of children who need foster homes and families? You got two empty bedrooms in your house, right? I mean, one of those wouldn't be a good place for a child who needs a family. Pure religion in the sight of God the Father, James says. In the sight of God the Father. Remember how I started? I said that if you, if you want to know how you look spiritually, if you want to know, am, am I pretty or ugly? Is, is my faith genuine? Is it pure or impure? Is it true or false? And I said it really is going to depend on the audience. It'll depend on who you ask. You need to understand there's really only one opinion that matters when it comes to your heart, only one opinion that matters when it comes to your faith. And James says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father. 
He's the only one that you serve, the only one that you must please. It is his word that's been planted in your heart. You need to accept that word that's in your heart. And to accept doesn't just mean to say you believe it. It means to let that word change everything about your behavior. If you hear a sermon that's worthy at all, ever, if you hear something from the Word of God, your response can't be, that was nice. It's a good sermon. When you hear God's Word, your only response ever is now, what do I do? So now, what do we do? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we have seen our faces in the mirror of your word today and not all of us can be at all pleased with what we see because God, we know that you can't be at all pleased with what you see. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would show us now what you want us to do, Lord, and it's not just about remembering what we've heard, it's about living out and and, and acting on what we've heard. So God, Help us in in the quiet and the worship of this moment to hear your voice and understand what you're asking us to do. And then, Lord, let us not rest. Let us not sleep. Let us not forget what we've heard until we have obeyed what we have heard. God, many of us in this house, we have deceived ourselves because we're in church so often and we've heard this passage so many times that, that we no longer listen to it at all. We imagine that since we know it, that somehow we've somehow surrendered to it, Lord, but, but truly we've not surrendered until we have obeyed. So Lord, let your word put down deep roots in our hearts today and let your word change the way we live our lives. Let not one of us leave this house the same way we walked in today, Lord. Your word transforms us. So let us be changed, Lord Jesus, according to your word, according to your purposes. Show us our faces, Lord Jesus, and may our faces day by day begin to look more and more like your face, O Christ, in whose name we pray.